spiritual battle. That when we give our lives to Jesus and we trust in Christ to save us, we immediately are on a team. We've chosen a side and we, we are, are following the Lord Jesus and trusting Jesus. And there is an enemy that just does not like that. There is an enemy that is against us. There is an enemy that wants to rob the glory of God from our lives, from our church, from our community, from our families, from our neighborhood, from our schools. We see that. And the Apostle Paul tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are reminded that one of the schemes of Satan is to get you not liking somebody in this room, right? Get you not liking somebody in the church. When really, what does it say is for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the darkness. It's all, it's all a trick that Satan gets, that Satan tries to do to divide you and to, to overthrow you. And what he wants to do is to rob the glory of God from your life and to rob the power of God from your life. But what we're learning is, is that as believers in Jesus, we are victorious through the shed blood of Christ. We are victorious and powerful through the mighty name of Jesus. You know, I wanted to start this morning with a confession. Confession is good for the soul, amen? And I'm afraid that if I tell you this, you may never be able to look at your pastor the same way again. But it's true. As much as I, to much to your disbelief and that you could never imagine this, um, your pastor played football at one time in his life. Absolutely. I told you, I told you it'd be hard to believe. Uh, now listen, I was like in elementary school, all right? And I know, I know it's just hard to look at this stunning, amazing physique in front of you and not believe that he did not invest his life in athletics, all right? But the, the reality is I did. Now here's the thing. I played, um, when I was in elementary school, at the little pop, uh, pop, what do they call it? Pop, pop Warner, y'all know, don't you? I don't know. Pop Warner League over a, Shabla Park, is that where they play? Over there. I did that when I was a kid. And I remember I, I paid my fees. I got signed up. I was a lion. I look like a lion, don't I, you know? I was a lion. And I had this bright blue jersey on. And, man, I loved getting suited up. I loved it. I loved putting those pants on. I liked those pads. I liked the, liked the shoulder pads. I, mean, I, I liked the jersey. I liked the helmet. I, I liked it all, except for the actual game itself. But I liked, I liked the way I looked playing football. I liked it. But I didn't like practice too much. I remember going, and that was kind of hot, you know, you know, a lot of hard work, you know. It really wasn't my thing. And and really that kind of reflected on the field. Because for whatever reason, I only played when we were up by like 100 points, and it was like a minute left on the clock. You know what I mean? To this day, I don't know why that's the only time I ever played, but, but that's when I played. And, and, you know, I wasn't much of a football player. I, I think it's a good thing I went into theology and not pro football. You know, I think that's, that's a good thing. But at the same time, you know, I had, I had the part now, and I, I looked good. You know, and you know, you know, like when you take the pictures, when you when you do that, like the kids take the pictures. You know, you holding you holding that football for the picture. Yeah, I took my picture. I just never touched the ball any other time, you know, but but I held it then. And you know, I looked the part. I had the jersey, and truthfully, 
I was on the team. I mean, really, I was a team member. I was there. I wasn't a very good team member, but I was on the team. I was on the team. But the problem was I never got my jersey dirty. I never got my jersey dirty. Um, I was truthfully probably more of a spectator. And I still, I, no, I still don't like to watch football either. But, but regardless, but regardless, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to watch it, if anything. But the truth is, I was more of a spectator than a participator. You know, uh, the reality is we see destruction, we see failure, we see defeat in so many areas around us. Uh, we see neighborhoods falling apart. We see families falling apart. We see um, churches falling apart. We see, um, man, schools, schools, the danger, the violence that we've seen, and, and all of that, it's, it's crazy. But we are the children of God. We are people that love Jesus and that have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we have a transformation. And, and, and we should be so different than the dark world that's out there. We should be so different. But if that's the case, why are there churches all across America that have Christians in them, born-again people in them, but communities that are dying and going to hell and no life change? Why are we seeing the divorce rate with Christians the same as the divorce rate with lost people? Why, why do we see many of the same struggles and challenges that lost people have? Why do we see Christians dealing with the exact same thing? Shouldn't there be a difference? If, if someone's looking from the outside, and they say, your God has enough power to take you to heaven, right? To raise Jesus from the dead, right? Yeah, he does. But he doesn't have enough power to change your life. He doesn't have enough power to make you different, to break a habit, to do something. There's no power there. What is that saying about our God? What is that showing people about the God that we serve? Well, the truth is I do believe God can change lives. And I do believe the power of God is real. And I do believe that the Lord can still move today as much as he did 2,000 years ago. I believe that with all of my heart. But I think perhaps the reason we're seeing such a weak, watered-down, diluted Christianity, a weak, watered-down gospel, is because many of y'all got the jersey. Many of y'all are on the team. Many of you all have the dues paid for you to be on that team, which is the shed blood of Jesus. But here's the kicker. You much rather like watching it than you do playing it. You like being a spectator rather than a participator. This is the problem we see with modern-day Christianity. We come to church... Our Jesus is only for an hour of our life. It's compartmentalized. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. It's only, our faith is confined to this. And that's it. And this is why Satan is having a field day with our churches. This is why Satan is having a field day with you. 
because you are not in the game. You're on the sideline. You're on the bench. You're not getting your Jesus jersey dirty. You're not warring in the spiritual warfare. You're not fighting the good fight. You're just sitting there. And you're letting the enemy run all over you. And this is why churches are weak. This is why neighborhoods are weak. This is why schools are weak. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. We, we gripe all the time. If there was only prayer in school, if there was only prayer in school, none of this would happen. Friends, how about we put prayer back in the church? I'm going to tell you something. We have such a watered-down, weak Christianity, we don't even pray in the church anymore. Hey, by the way, prayer meeting, Tuesday night, be there. Amen? But see, you can't even amen a prayer meeting because you're so watered down and weak. Oh, we got fun today, aren't we? Why? Because there is a sickness abounding in Christians, and the devil is mopping the floor with you. He's mopping the floor with you. And we have a spiritual battle of a sick, weak, pathetic Christianity. <laughs> Let's look at the word, amen? Look at what it says in Ephesians 6. We pick up where we left off. The Apostle Paul has told us that we are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. He has told us that uh, we war not against flesh and blood, and he has told us that we have a supernatural protection about us that we call the armor of God. The first three pieces was the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet sandaled with the gospel, or the gospel of, of Christ, the gospel of peace flowing through us. Now, it's important to note that Paul actually changes tone for the next three pieces of the armor. If you notice, for the first three pieces, he tells us to stand with those three pieces. This is very, very important. But for the next three pieces, he uses the word take up or to use, or to activate. So when we are in spiritual warfare, we stand with the truth of Jesus, we stand with the righteousness of Christ on us, and we stand in the peace of Christ. But for the next three, we're told to take up, meaning that you have to choose to use the next three pieces. You have to choose to use them. Paul reads this. He says in verse 16, in every situation, take up, there's that word, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. There it is again, take. Take the helmet of salvation and then he connects it to the last piece. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Father, may you add blessing to your word today. May it ignite us, set us on fire. May we look more like Jesus. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We thank you for Christ. In your name we pray, amen. If we have a spiritual armor that is on us in Jesus, the righteousness, the truth, the gospel, that's just Jesus. That's all the, the armor of God is, is the power of Jesus on us. That's what it really is. It's the presence of Jesus on us. At least the first three pieces are. But for the next three pieces, we're told to take up and to use. Here's the big idea today about spiritual warfare. Here's the big take home. You ready? The big take home is this. 
is that spiritual warfare is not passive. Spiritual warfare is not just sitting on the sidelines and letting the devil have a field day with you. It's not just sitting there letting Satan destroy your church, destroy your family, destroy your community. It's not, it's not passive. It's not being a spectator. So we take up. One of the things that we take up or that we use in this fight is our faith. So when we engage in spiritual warfare, I have to fight with faith. I have to fight the spiritual battles that come upon me with faith. Look what Paul says in verse 16 about the first, uh, the first piece of today. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So remember, Paul is probably in a jail cell. He's looking at a Roman soldier, and he's probably using the idea of the soldier to write down the, the armor of God. He's, he's, he's you know, getting the ideas for that from the Spirit and from what Jesus has done. And, but the Roman soldier, one of the standard equipment that they would use was their shield, and it was probably about shoulder about head or about shoulder length maybe to knee length, and it was round. Let me really read you a description of it. It was sturdily constructed of wood laminate with outside edges curving towards the soldier. So think of the shield, not as flat, but kind of egg shape a little bit. It kind of was like an egg shape is what it looked like, and an oval shape, and it curved towards the soldier, thus providing protection from the sides as well as the front. So it was, wasn't just a full frontal protection, it was the sides as well. It was covered in leather, rimmed with metal, had a metal boss on the outside for the protection of the hand that it held. So this, this weapon, this, this armor device, it would, it would cover from about there to their knee and they would be able to press forward with it and to be able to hide, hide behind it. Now, one of the things that was really important was that side protection because enemies all throughout history have used projectile uh, to, to harm people in warfare. They've used projectile. No different back in the, in the ancient days as it is today. They would use um, arrows. They would launch rocks. They would use catapults to throw rocks on people. All kinds of stuff like that. One of their things they liked to do was to put tar on the blade and to light it on fire. So like when they, they could light it, throw it, and it would cause more damage. What protects us in our spiritual battles, Paul tells us, is the faith. It's faith that protects us from the enemy's darts that are thrown at us. It's faith. Now, what is faith? That's a good question. Faith, if we were to just give a simplistic definition, is trusting God. That's all it is. Trusting God. Maybe the, the greater idea of faith is the faith that we trust that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that he died as the ultimate payment for our sins and rose again and that if we trust and have faith in God, we are, we are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But ultimately, what is faith? It's just trusting in God, trusting in the Lord. And, and notice what Paul says. Look back at 16. Only on Sundays trust in God. Is that what he says? Oh, okay. Um, only on Sundays in life group night, trust in God. Right? No, no, no. He says what? In, say it with me, church, in every situation. 
Listen, I know of all people, do I know that Satan will put his hooks on a Sunday morning service more than any place else. I have seen that countless times throughout my ministry, even here, even everywhere, every church, every Sunday morning. I mean, you can see it. Satan will do everything he can to claw at the Sunday morning service through distractions, through discouragement, you name it. He'll try. I've seen, I say this, almost about everything. Something's going to surprise me one day. But I've, I've seen so much to remind me that Satan just wants people not to be focused on the Lord. Are y'all with me on that? You ever walk into a church service before and just somebody says something to you that stung you and you weren't ready to worship Jesus? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. It has me. You know why? Because Satan is trying to steal the glory of God from your life. Does that make sense? So we know that he tries the church service all the time. All the time. All, all the time. You ever see something weird happen in church services? The devil trying to disrupt. But let me, let me tell you this. But that ain't the only time he sticks barbs in you. It's at your work. It's in your family. It's with people you interact with. The assault does not stop on a Sunday morning. It doesn't. To be honest, this is probably the least amount of assault that you get because you're surrounded with so much Christian light in here. And when you go out by yourself, guess what? It's a lot easier to pick off the one that's away from the group. Amen? It's a lot easier to pick them off. So we see that, man, he can be so vicious. And and the Bible says that he has these flaming arrows. You know, hey, I know what the flaming arrows in my life look like. And you know what they look like in your life. But let me just take a quick survey. If you know what a flaming arrow in your life looks like from the enemy, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. We know, don't we? It can come in a variety of shapes and sizes. In a variety. Why are we to have faith in every situation? You ready? Because he throws everything at you in every situation. And what is the answer? You ready? Trust in God. Trust in God. That's the answer in every situation. Trust in God. Preacher, we can't do this. Why? We don't have this or that. Everything's going to pieces. Why? We just can't do it. Why? What's the answer, preacher? Trust in God. And they step back and they say, what's the real answer? Trust in God. Well, King, that, that doesn't seem like it's good science, good, good whatever. Well, listen. Listen. If you can't trust in God over church matters, why are you even here today? I mean, seriously. This ain't a club. Y'all know that, right? Like, this is a worship service where we're worshiping Jesus a guy that we can't see that we said rose from the dead, right? Like, that's a faith, right? So is that faith supposed to carry into every area of the church life? Is it supposed to carry it into every area of your life? What about your work? Can you trust God in your work? What about your relationships? Can you trust God in your relationships? What about your children? 
This is how you overthrow the devil's attacks. Trust in God. Trust in God. The problem is that we compartmentalize our faith. We love Jesus here, but we don't overhear. We love Jesus on, you know, a Bible study, but not, a, not on Monday. And every time you compartmentalize your faith and you do that, you just leave yourself open to a satanic attack from another area. Remember, that shield covered you. It would be like, a, like a, an oval around you. Faith in God. But we also see another piece of the armor that comes and it's this helmet of salvation. And when we apply the helmet of salvation in our spiritual fight, this is what we do. We hang in there with hope. We hang in there with hope, the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. We hang in there with hope. But can you, I, I read that. Take the helmet of salvation. I don't see a word in there about hope. Uh, where do you get hope at? Well, I'm so glad you asked today. Look here. If you write this down, if you go home and do some Bible study, this is going to blow you away. I didn't know this, so I started studying it. Did you know this is not the first place in the Bible that mentions the helmet of salvation? It is referenced way, way back in the book of Isaiah. If you look at Isaiah 59, 17 through 18, write it down for, for reference at home. The prophet is talking about a day that God comes and overthrows sin. He talks about a day that the Lord will come back and just finally correct all the injustice and will and will overthrow it and will rescue. And this is how Isaiah describes the Lord when he comes back. Listen, see if this doesn't sound familiar. If this doesn't sound familiar. Verse 17 and 18 of Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as body armor. Does that sound familiar? The Lord put on righteousness as body armor. And a, listen to this, and a helmet of what? Salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak, so he will repay according to their deeds. Fury to his enemies, retribution to his foes, he will repay the coasts and the islands. So this image of God in the Old Testament, of coming back clothed in an armor, Wearing salvation, rescuing those that are, in, that are in captivity, those that are in bondage of sin. The Lord comes back and frees them. Paul would later write in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, listen to this. He elaborates on the helmet a little bit more. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but since we belong to the day, by the way, Christian, did you know that? You belong to the day, not the nighttime. Heard somebody say something one time, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock, amen. He <laughs> didn't say amen, all right. <laughs> but since we belong to the day, not secrets, not, not in shadows, but the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and listen, and the helmet of the hope of salvation, the hope. Of salvation. You ready for this? The helmet would have been a bowl that would have sat on the Roman soldier's head and, and it actually would have extended down into actually the, the shoulders. It probably went into the shoulders as well and there was leather pieces that went around the cheek. So really, it protected the neck and the head and, and the face as well. Paul says that our helmet is a helmet of salvation. Now, Think about this. He tells us in Thessalonians, it's a, it's a hope of salvation. 
He tells us, Isaiah tells us that God wears the helmet. So what is, how does all this connect? How does it all build together? You ready? When we are in spiritual warfare and battling, we know that God has already been victorious over sin. That when Jesus Christ died and rose again, he conquered sin and death. He wore the helmet of salvation. He is the Savior. He is the living God. Jesus is. And then we know that if we trust in Jesus and have faith in Jesus, we have hope. Hope that we're saved. When you believe in Jesus, you were saved. Right now, in warfare, you're being saved as a follower of Christ. And one day, when the end comes, you're saved. You you were saved, you are saved, you will be saved. There is great salvation in Jesus. And when the devil's throwing everything at us and hurting us and trying to attack us, you know what we have to do? We have to remember that we're born again Christians. Don't you think it's ironic that it's on our head? Where our mind is. Satan fights so many battles in our minds. Amen. He'll get you hating somebody when they ain't done a thing to you. He does so much in the mind. And the Lord is just telling us, don't forget you're saved. Don't forget you're a Christian. One of the things that the devil will really attack you with is doubting your salvation. He will really hammer you with that and say, are you really born again? Are you really redeemed? Are you really a child of God? He, oh, how he wants you to question that. And let me tell you why. Because if he can get you bumbling around the battlefield, not knowing whose side you're on, he don't have to do a thing to you. Because you're wandering around like an idiot. Amen? You've got to know that you know that you know that you know you've been saved. Well, Kenny, how can I know that? Through faith in Christ. Through a salvation. It's not what we do that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. Like, for example, all the major world religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, and Christianity is the fifth one. When you look at that, all of them except for Christianity have a common theme in it. And the theme is you do and you do and you do. So there's a ritual that you perform. There's prayers that you pray. This, 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 and this. And then maybe if you're good enough, you get to wherever it is. Nirvana, a planet, whatever. Um, when I was, lived in Louisville just for a short stint right after college, when I lived in Louisville, there was a guy underneath me. He was a dedicated Muslim from Africa. And you knew he was a Muslim because every morning at very, very early before the sun came out, that dude was praying. And he was right underneath my, <laughs> my room. Uh, I was not up praying at that time, but he woke me up. We befriended him. We took him out to eat several times. Um, I don't know what part of Africa he was from, but we got to know him and we shared the gospel with him. On many, many occasions, we shared Jesus with him. And I remember one time I asked him, how can you know that you're going to wherever you're going? And he says, well, I don't know. I don't know. He says, I I do what I do to maybe hope that I'm going there. I don't know. And I said, well, I know. He said, well, how can you know? He asked me, how can you know? How can you know? 
I said, because I'm not trusting in my own merits. I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. See, he had a hope, but it was a false hope of his work-based religion. My, I know I'm a dirtbag. I know I am. I know I am. But I know my Jesus is not. And I know he's wonderful. And he saved me by his grace. In spiritual warfare, I cannot stress how important it is that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know you're a Christian. That you've been born again. And you know what? That take up. Taking up the helmet of salvation. Meaning what? There's going to be days you wake up and you don't feel like you're saved. Really? Yeah, because I can eat a bologna sandwich at 11 o'clock and feel weird. And that doesn't mean I had some sort of spiritual experience. It means I ate bad bologna, you know? But what I can tell you is, is that days when you don't always feel close to God, aren't you glad that our salvation is based on the blood of Jesus and not our feelings? It's based on the blood of Jesus not how we feel. And you've got to go into battle knowing that you've got faith in Jesus and that you're saved. And I love the last part. And again, it's in the same context as take up the shield, take the helmet, now we take the sword. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, say it with me, church, which is the word of God. A sword is to be willed, is to be is to be. It's to, it's, to, it's to go out in front of you. Isn't it interesting that all the pieces of the armor are defensive? Every one of them. The belt, the, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet. It's all defense. Every one of it is except for what? The sword. The sword is the only offensive weapon needed in spiritual warfare. The rest protects you from the enemy's attacks. The word cuts down the enemy. So what do we do with that sword? We wield the word of God. We wield with the word. We, we war with the word of God. We, we get in there, we, we wield and we war with the word. Now, I hate to bust your bubble, but I was, it kind of let me down to be honest with you, but I was, I was doing research on my sermon this week and I've got some software that shows me like ancient pictures and sketches and stuff. And I was excited to see what this Roman sword looked like. I mean, I thought it would be awesome. Like I'm, I'm like seeing like some like big Hulk guy with a big, you know, like battle axe going into this. I mean, we're going to get the battle axe and chop the devil down. You know, that's what, that's what I was thinking. And I learned something crazy. The Roman sword is nothing like that. It's actually small. And it's kind of like a dagger. And I thought, well, that's weird. Kind of a letdown. I thought this would be like one big mamma jamma, you know. Until I started reading what they did with it. They would use all that armor. And the sword was relatively kind of lightweight. They would use all that armor to advance on the enemy. They'd plow, they'd push, they'd be getting beats, and they'd be doing it. And then when they got close enough, you know what they did? They took out their little dagger, and they gutted the dude from the side like a fish. Right in the side, up into the rib cage, and they killed that way. So here, you ready? 
when the sword was in cooperation with the rest of the armor, lethal, lethal. Romans could go forward, stab, and stab from the side, and that's how they did it. And they killed that way. And they were tough muchachos. So you look at that little sword, and you think, it ain't going to do much damage, but in the hands of a Roman soldier, it could do a lot. You may look at this. Y'all with me on this, church? You may look at this, and you may think, that ain't going to do a lot of damage. Oh, my friend, this is the big mamma jamma bazooka. <laughs> the word of God is anointed and powerful. I believe it with all my heart. When, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, what did he do? You remember? He quoted scripture. You remember that? When Jesus is face to face with the devil in the desert, what does he do? He quotes the gospel. He quotes the, he quotes the scriptures. The Old Testament, he quotes the Old Testament, the scriptures. Oh, when Satan is throwing stuff at you, oh, how you need the word of God. Oh, how you need to have it available. Oh, how you need the presence of God through his word in your life. This is interesting in my studies, but most commentators believe that that's a twofold meaning of the word of God. Not only is it the written word of God, it's interesting, but it's the message of the gospel in itself. Now, this makes sense. Think about it. That when we share the word of God with people, when we share the message of Jesus with people, what happens? Hopefully, they will what? Trust in Jesus, right? Give their life to Christ when they hear the scriptures, right? Well, guess what? When they trust in Jesus and give their life to Christ, you know what happened? The devil is one man down. Do you see what happens when we preach the word of God faithful and when we're out there sharing the word of God, people inevitably get saved. So what happens to the devil's team? It decreases. Do you see why? That's the sword. Because it has power. My fear, my fear is this. The reason so many of us cannot overcome temptation. We cannot shake some things. We keep letting Satan blow us out of the water. Can I just be real today, church? You ready? It's because you've not picked up your weapon. The word of God is absent from your life. And when the word of God is absent from your life, Satan is going to punch you all around. Kenny, I need more power. I need more strength. Well, brother, are you in the word? Sister, are you in the word? Well, no, I can't read the Bible. Really? Because I'm pretty sure that's a cop out. I don't have time for the scriptures, but I got time for Facebook, video games, and everything else underneath the sun, right? I got time for all that. No wonder we have such weak, deluded, sick churches. Because even though we may stand up and say, we believe in the inerrancy of God, we believe in the inerrancy of God's word and the infallibility of scripture, we believe in it. But, the, but here's the thing, we want it preached, but we'll never open it up in our homes. We'll never read it to our children. We'll never study it for ourselves. We'll never prioritize it in our life. And, but we believe it. 
We believe it. Friend, you don't believe it unless you read it. And the more you just sit there and you let it collect dust, it will lead to a life of ruin for you. Of ruin for you. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your community. It will, it will destroy everything if you just put the Bible away. Well, can you really think high of that Bible? Of course I do. Because the Bible itself says that the word of God will not return void. There is power. The Bible says it is through the word of our testimony that Satan was overthrown, that the Bible is sharper than any double-edged sword. Friend, if you let this gather dust, you are acting in spiritual ignorance today. And I'm going to tell you all, we got some good old boys in here. And if the government ever tried to come in and take your guns, it'd be a bloodbath. Amen? But let me tell you something. Satan, have, you've just invited him in to your home and you freely handed over all your guns to him. That's what you've done. That's what you've done. Friends, I am praying God gets a hold of you and stirs you and shakes you up to realize you cannot be passive in spiritual warfare. You cannot be passive. Now, oh, how we need to return to Christians that live it out, that live it out, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday, and live it out. We can't be on the sidelines. We cannot be on the sidelines. Let me tell you a story in closing. Around the year 300, around that time, around that time, there was... Um, a dispute amongst two Roman emperors. One of them was pro-Christian and the other one was anti-Christian. And the one that was anti-Christian did not love the Lord or anything like that. And there was a group of soldiers, of Roman soldiers. Some accounts say they were legionnaires, some do not say they were legionnaires. But anyway, there was a group of soldiers that were camped somewhere near Turkey. And it was wintertime. And the bad Roman emperor, again, they were kind of contesting over the throne, the two of them. The bad one declared that all soldiers, all the military, had to offer a sacrifice to the emperor. One of the things in the Roman cult was that the, the emperor was God. That was one of their things, is that the emperor was God. So the Roman soldiers began to set up a sacrifice where each of them came and they respected the Roman emperor as God. But there was 40 men in that battalion that were followers of Jesus, and they loved Christ. And when the decree came that they were to worship the emperor, they said no. They weren't going to do it. Well, as you can imagine, this didn't farewell with the commanding officers. It was viewed as treason. It was, it was viewed as a traitor, a traitorous act. So they arrested them, and they put them in the care of a Roman jailer that was also a soldier as well, like an MP kind of. They put them in the, there in the camp. And the Romans could not execute somebody at will. They had a whole process. If you go back to when Jesus was on trial, do you remember that, how 
there was various levels and things like that. The Romans were real big about protocol. So they had to wait about a week for a higher up guy to come and give the order to kill these 40 men. And he came and sure enough, he said, they're traitors. They're not worshiping the emperor as God. Kill them. It's decreed. It's okay. So it was cold outside and the way that they chose to kill these men was to give them a chance to recant before they died. So they stripped all their armor off of them, all of their protective clothing, which was a shameful act anyway, completely nude, completely gone. And they marched these 40 men onto a frozen lake there in Turkey. And they built fires all around the frozen lake. And the commander that came down said, here's the deal. If you come and you deny Jesus and you worship the emperor, we'll clothe you, we'll warm you by the fire. If not, you stay there in the nude, in the freezing cold. And they gathered there, and this is what they sung. This is what history tells us that they sung, because their number was 40. 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. 40 brave soldiers for Christ. We'll be true to our God and stare death in the face. Though we perish on this lake of ice, we'll be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. They said that over and over and over throughout the night, freezing to death. And as the night went on, their voices got more faint and they were freezing until one of them broke rank. And he got up and he said, I can't take it anymore. And he got up and he went to the fire and he collapsed there next to the fire, weeping because of his shame. The jailer, the MP guy, remember, was watching all this. And he had seen their faith for that week of captivity. And the 40 was down to 39. And he was watching. He was spectating. And the Lord got all a hold of him in that moment. And the Spirit of God came on him, and he renounced his faith in the Roman gods, and he accepted Jesus as a Savior. And the story goes that that jailer took off his helmet, took off his breastplate, and as he was walking, he was littering his clothes behind him, completely down to nothing, and he joined the 40. And the whole way there, he sung this, 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. 40 brave soldiers for Christ. We'll be true to our God and we will stare death in the face. Though we perish on this lake of ice, we'll be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. And on that night, 40, not 39, men died for Jesus on the lake. Now you tell me the Christian faith is a sissy faith. Here's where we are. God is calling you to put on the full armor of God and the trust in him, to repent of your sin, Christian, to wake up and to live for Christ and to be serious about what God's calling you to do. Are you trusting in God? Are you confident of your salvation? And are you actively in the word? If you don't know Jesus today, how I pray that today you would be set free 
from the ranks of Satan and trust in the shed blood of Jesus. He invites you to come. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for Christ. And how I pray in this moment that you will remind us, God, to have faith and confidence, to trust in your word. Lord, as the battle rages on, God, this is how it's won, Lord. It's, it's won by, by you being bound up in us, by your righteousness being on us, by your peace being on us, God, with us having faith, with us having confidence, with us in the word. Oh, God, I pray that we won't be sick. God, I pray we won't be weak, at least, Lord, in regards to you. God, our bodies are so weak, and that's where you want us, Lord, physically, but God, you want us strong in the Lord. You want the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And God, and I just pray that we'll trade our feeble strength for your spirit strength. Oh, Lord, there are people here today that are so distracted by nonsense, by nonsense. And how I pray that they'll be on their knees, just drawing close, communing with the Savior today, communing with the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, we need you. Oh, God, send us revival. Lord, let us not be spectators. Let us be participators. Let us be fighters. Oh, Jesus, how we need you. Lord, send someone to be saved. Stir our hearts. We pray in your name. Stand to your feet. This is our prayer time. We invite you to come and pray. You're welcome to come to the altar. One of our pastors, our deacons, we'd love to pray with you as we sing. Let's come and get renewed this morning. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ.